The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. For those of you who've been around a while, you'll know I have five principles that I have when I'm preaching, and one of them is I don't want you to believe a word I say. I want you to go home and check it out for yourself. I've been here, it'll be nine years in February, and if I've achieved anything, I pray that we are increasingly a people of the Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through the Word of God, that we come back to the Word, that we come regularly to the Word, that we hear God speak through the Word, and we live, as we were talking before, by what the Word says, by what God says, not by what we've heard other people say. And so we want to make the word available. We want you to hear. We want you to read the word, hear God speak. Two weeks ago we paused our journey through the book of Genesis and we read of Jacob's dream, this dream of a, of a stairway leading to heaven and angels ascending and descending and at the top of the stairway stands the Lord himself and he is blessing and promising descendants and a land and his very presence to Jacob and then when Jacob awakes he says surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it he was afraid and said how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Just strike me even as I'm reading that again, that it's a bit like the shepherds out in the fields. Jacob's just found a spot to sleep for the night. And he lies down in a very ordinary place and there he sees angels going to and from heaven and God himself speaking in the very ordinary place. And early the next morning, Jacob takes a stone that he's used as a pillow and he pours oil on top of it and he calls that place Bethel. The city used to be called Luz. It's called Bethel, 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 the house of God. And last Sunday as we began our Christmas series, we read of the angel Gabriel sent from the very presence of God to the temple in Jerusalem, to that part which was called the holy place. And there the angel meets with Zechariah and is prepared. Zechariah has come into the holy place to offer incense on the altar of incense, symbolizing the prayers going up to heaven. And he will tell him, of the coming birth of John the Baptist. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth will become parents in their old age and their son will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the obedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people ready, prepared for the Lord. That's an incredible announcement in the temple. But better things are to come. 
Because fast forward six months, and we're told that in the sixth month, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, this time to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of your father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Just pausing on that for a moment. If you go away with nothing else this morning, grab that phrase. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary's response was, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. So last week we have this elderly priest serving in the temple. And this week we have a young girl, probably in her mid-teens. Apparently, according to Jewish custom and law of the time, Mary was probably about 15 or 16 and Joseph was probably about 19 or 20. Both Zechariah and Mary are startled by the appearance of the angel Gabriel sent from God. The elderly priest is going to become the father of the one who is sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. This is the priest who gets to serve in the holy place. And this young girl, she'll become the mother of the one who is the one. He is the way. He is the way. The Messiah. We're not told why Mary was chosen. Many provide various explanations, but the Bible seems to offer four that I've identified anyway. Firstly, the Messiah is to come from the line of David. In times to come, when Jesus had been teaching in the temple courts uh, in John chapter 7, we're told, and towards the end of that says, does not scripture say that Messiah will come from David's descendants? There was well and truly the expectation that Messiah would come from the line of David. Matthew, when he writes his gospel with a Jewish audience in mind, he opens his gospel by tracing the family line from Abraham through David. And in Matthew 17, he says there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 
14 from David to the exile in Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And Matthew records Joseph's father's name as Jacob. However, when we look at Luke, he's writing for a Greek audience and he traces the ancestry back to Adam. It says, now Jesus himself, when he was 30 years old, when he began his ministry, he was a son. So it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, and so on. It does raise a few questions and a range of explanations as to how Joseph could possibly have two fathers, one called Jacob, one called Heli. Some suggest that Joseph's mother had married twice and Heli was actually Joseph's father by birth. And then later his mother remarried to Jacob. And therefore Luke is using a bloodline genealogy and Matthew is using the Jewish convention which records Jacob as the father of Joseph. Others have suggested that Heli was Mary's father and so he's the father-in-law of Joseph. You know something? That's a little bit of a rabbit hole. How easy we get caught up going the rabbit hole. It's like we are told the things that we need to know. And we can have questions and we can live with the uncertainty of the questions. But what we know is she is going to give birth to the Messiah. One way or another, the family history traces back to David. Because the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. How we get to this point sometimes is less relevant than the point to which we come. He is being born into the line of David. Secondly, the thing that stands out is that Mary is chosen because she is a virgin. There's an Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 7.14. The Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And will call, you will, they will call him Emmanuel. It's one of hundreds of Old Testament prophecies fulfilling Jesus. Conservatively, some say there are at least 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. One report says as many as 456, which sounds like they've been on a bit of a count. Some of them I look at the prophecies in the Old Testament and go, was that really what the writer had in mind when they wrote that down? Or was that what God had in mind when he inspired the author to write? I don't know. What I do know is that when God inspired the Old Testament writers, God always had Jesus in mind. He always had the coming of Jesus in mind. You know, in some ways, if we're saying there's 300 or 456, it's irrelevant. The whole of the Old Testament is looking forward and preparing the way for the coming of Messiah. But if you look at the statistical odds of that many prophecies that are very, very clear in the Old Testament being fulfilled in one individual, there is no room for doubt in my mind that Jesus is and was, always will be, Messiah. 
One of the challenges of the virgin birth is people go, oh, not really sure about that. Not sure how that could work. And there are a lot of questions, therefore, who will question the reality of the virgin birth. And I've, I've seen people explaining that the verse in Scripture actually says a young woman. It doesn't necessarily say a virgin. But I'm of the opinion, and the older I get, the more certain I am, that you either take the Bible as it is, or you put it down and walk away. That you wrestle with it, continually... And I come back, I want to continually align my life with the word. I want to be a church. I want us to be a church that continues to seek to align our living with the word. When Bill's talking about what Bill's talking about with healing and God's will and God's desire, my prayer is that we will align our living with the word. We won't go, well, it doesn't work that way in my life and therefore we'll adjust the word. And that's why when we're not comfortable with the idea of a virgin birth, we go, well, that didn't have to be the case. But when you start taking pieces out of the word, where do you start and where do you stop? You know, I've heard people, they undermine the teaching of Paul. Paul was this and Paul. It's like Paul is the one who gives us so much of our assurance of salvation. And if we write it off, where do we stop? But here's the real thing. Yep, I might struggle from my science background to understand how a virgin can give birth. But here's the thing. When I pause to remember that the creator of the universe loves me enough to send his one and only son to die that I might have relationship with him, which is harder to believe, if I can't believe that God can figure a way around the whole biology thing, then how can I possibly believe that God loves me and sent his son to die for me? Nothing is impossible for God. And so Mary is chosen because Messiah must come from the line of David and Mary is chosen because she's a virgin... Mary, I believe, is also chosen because she is betrothed to a godly man. In Matthew's account, because Joseph, her husband, or the one she was betrothed to, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Being a godly man, Joseph didn't want to expose Mary to humiliation. At that point in time, he assumed of infidelity. And he didn't want to publicly disgrace her. 
So he was looking for a way to move her, put her aside, not expose her to public humiliation. But when he learnt the truth from an angel in the dream, Joseph was prepared to put himself through humiliation because the world would look on and figure that it wasn't waiting until marriage. When they discovered his fiancée was pregnant before they were married, the humiliation that he sought to protect Mary from would fall upon himself, and he was a godly man, that he was prepared to do that. So Mary's chosen because Messiah was to come from the line of David, and she's chosen because she is a virgin, and she's chosen because she is betrothed and engaged to a humble man who will, as it was assumed, be the father of Jesus. But finally, and I think most importantly, Mary is chosen because knowing her heart, God knew what Gabriel would soon hear. Mary is humble. When Zechariah heard the announcement that he and Elizabeth would come, become parents in their old age, he was concerned about the biology. And he said, I am an old man and my wife is a long years. How can I be sure of this? And Mary had a little concern about the biology too. How will this be since I am a virgin? Zechariah should have at least known it was possible. He would have known the story of Genesis. He would have known the story of Abraham and Sarah. He would have known that God is quite capable of giving a son to an elderly couple. And he just wanted to be sure. He wanted a sign, so God gave him a sign. He was unable to speak from that moment until what had been promised was fulfilled. But Mary was facing a first. There hadn't been a virgin birth. She wasn't for asking for reassurance, how can I be sure, but simply how will this happen? And being told that the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for no word from God will ever fail. And she doesn't go, excuse me, can you go over that again? I didn't quite understand that. Rather, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. How often when God brings us a word, we just want to sit there and go, I don't understand how that can happen. I don't understand how you can do that. I don't know how this works. Can you, can you explain a bit more detail? God sent Gabriel to Zechariah in the temple, to the holy place. It's a place where certainly in times gone by the presence of God would dwell. And it was expected that the priests would enter into the presence of God himself, those who were chosen to go into the Holy of Holies. And yet God sent Gabriel on his next mission to the most unlikely person, at least in the world's eyes, to a, a young girl in Nazareth. And I am reminded of the words of Isaiah 
57, where God says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. From his throne in heaven, to a temple made by human hands, and now to a young girl who was created and chosen by himself. Sure, God sent the angel to Zechariah in a special place, a holy place. But back in Genesis, just like with Mary, God chose to reveal himself in a very unspecial place. Love doesn't sound like a particularly important town. Neither was Nazareth. And yet God would choose to reveal himself first to Jacob and now to Mary. And Jacob would declare, surely God was in this place. And he would call that place the house of God. And God still says, I live in a high and holy place. But I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. We're told that when we humble himself, we're told that God opposes the proud and shows favour to the humble. And so James says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It doesn't say if you're important enough. It says if you're humble enough. So as we come to him, he will come to us and he will reveal himself to us and through us. I'm going to read something now that Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear Jesus praying this for you. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them, not the disciples, you who believe, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, the Son of God, Messiah, came into the world 2,000 years ago. Literally, through the humility of a young girl who is ready to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And today, as we come to the end of 
or towards the end of 2023, as we look forward to 2024 and all that God has planned for 2024, he still comes to the world through those who will humble themselves and make themselves available to be his servants. How do we do that? We hear his word, we listen for his spirit speaking through his word, and we go, yes, Lord, I'm your servant. Let it be to me as you have said. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Te Atatū. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.